I'm Kate Martin-Williams. I'm Fulu. And this is Ething Shakespeare Shorts. Hey there, friends. Welcome to the next installment of our special quarantine edition of the pod, Effing Shakespeare's Shorts. We're very excited to get to talk today with our next guest, Juditha Dowd. Her new book out with Rose Metal Press is a biography and poems called Audubon's Sparrow. First off, Juditha, how are you? How are things in Pennsylvania? Well, things are about the same in Pennsylvania as anywhere else, I guess. We're, we're hanging in. I think as far as the um, crisis, we're flattening our curve, as our governor says. So that's a happy note. We need all the happy notes we can get. So good good to hear. (laughs) Before we get to the reading, which is what we're here for, can you tell us a little background about this collection? I, I got a note about the work that you you did for this collection, and it just it's so tantalizing. I want to know more about it. Okay, well, I will give you a little background. I had no intention of writing a verse biography of Lucy Audubon or anybody else for that matter. I'm a lyric poet who mostly, you know, does uh, sequences and one-offs and so forth. I'd never done, although I do write short fiction, I'd never really conceived or thought about doing a narrative that would uh, last many poems and form a biography. But about 10 years ago, when I ran out of reading material one night, I borrowed a book from my husband's nightstand, which was Richard Rhodes' brilliant biography of John James Audubon. It's a wonderful book. Uh, and of course, everybody's heard about John James Audubon, but sure. about 50 pages in, I started to be fascinated by his young wife, Lucy Bakewell. She was a young English woman who met him when both of them were teenagers and both new immigrants to this country. And suddenly, I was becoming more interested in her. I began to write a few poems about both of them, just kind of one-offs that I would send out and so forth. But over the next year or two, I found myself writing about her, and suddenly I was thinking about possibly a chapbook and blew past that. And uh, (laughs) this consists of a series of diary entries imaginary diary entries, letters to her family and friends, and then what I've thought of as thought poems, which are are kind of lyric musings, the kinds of really dramatic monologues, but mm-hmm. not the kind that we normally see. They're kind of all over the page, a lot of air, a lot of space. And it's uh, for me, those are her unspoken thoughts, the kinds of things she's not quite putting words to in her mind. So this all began to come together over a couple of years, and I suddenly found myself well on the way to writing a book that I had never intended to write. (laughs) A happy accident. It was. It was. We have your husband's nightstand to thank for that, I suppose. (laughs) We do. He's a, a bird fan, and I can't say that I'm not a bird fan, but, you know, I'm not a birder. I don't go out there with binoculars and so forth, but... I was just very struck by this woman who was so strong and such an important part of Audubon's story. And yet there has been very little written about her and most people have never heard of her. Hmm. It's my belief we would not know, we would not know John James Audubon today had it not been for her. That's how important she was to his story. Well, could we hear some of the collection? 
Definitely, definitely. I'd love to read from it. Let me just tell you a tiny bit about them because otherwise it may not make sense. As I said, they met as, uh, I guess he was 19, she was 17 when they met. She came from a wealthy family of English gentry. She was quite educated for her time, mostly at home. And she had just arrived here with her fairly large family. Uh, her father had bought a plantation in north of Philadelphia. By happenstance, John James Audubon was living on the next farm, which had been owned for a long time by his father, a sea captain, a French sea captain. And he had been sent there from France by his father to avoid conscription in Napoleon's war. Audubon came from a, an awkward background. He was the illegitimate child of this captain and a uh, chambermaid, although his father had at some point adopted him officially. So he had, um, he had to disguise a lot about his background. So here are two people who fall madly in love um, as teenagers, and they, they marry and they go off to live on the frontier. Hmm. So I think that the best place to start is when they meet. Uh, we won't have time for me to give you a lot of the narrative arc. So by starting at the beginning, you'll see the happy, happy times of their early years together before the really hard part comes, which is the meat of the book. But I think it, it sets it up well. Does that sound good? It sounds lovely. Good. Let's start there. So this is the day they meet. It's one of the diary poems, and it's titled here in the book, Monsieur. Diary, January 1804, Norristown, Pennsylvania. Today, our neighbor at Mill Grove paid us a welcome call. Belatedly, I add, had not my father met him Monday hunting in our woods, would he have come at all? I sent a servant to the barns to summon father. We waited in the parlor, I sewing a shirt for little Will. With open curiosity, Monsieur surveyed the room, moved closer to inspect my work, claimed he found my stitchery très délicat. Bold of him, I thought. We spoke in both our languages as etiquette required. It was queer to note his preference for the Quaker thou. His chestnut hair falls well below his shoulder, and he is quite the dandy. This is a letter to Cousin Euphemia, an older cousin of Lucy's who still lived in Derbyshire, England, where the family had immigrated from. And this is a few months after that meeting in September 1804. Dearest Cousin Euphemia, since mother took ill, I am preoccupied with the children, helping Anne with penmanship and Sarah with her sums, leaving little time for riding or the garden. Mother pines for Derbyshire, but father is plainly fond of his new estate. He's changed its name to Fatland Ford. Perhaps he hopes to stimulate the harvest? A neighbor, Mr. Audubon, has befriended us of late here from France to avoid conscription in Napoleon's war. He lives on the farm his father bought some years ago when Saint-Domingue slave revolts threatened his plantation. La Forest, I call our good monsieur, from his native La Flore, 
Some afternoons we seek the birds he likes to draw. As to how he pronounces my name, you may not be surprised to learn I now prefer it uttered by the French. Now we come to the first of those poems that I think of as the musing poems, the unspoken words of Lucy's thought. Light. There, on the limb of that red-leafed tree, you have taught me to see not only the cardinal, but light itself and the wind in it. Now, as I move through father's fields, the wheat divides weighs against my thighs like water in a creek, like a hand might if it brushed me unintentionally. December 1805, Fatland Ford. Dearest cousin, I am helping Mr. Audubon improve his English, and he returns the favor by tutoring me in French, mine being limited and apparently old-fashioned. If he stays for supper, our evenings are improved, for Mr. A is fond of dancing. He treats us to his fiddle, or accompanies me on pianoforte, and he's taught us all some charming French chanson. His lively conversation always pleased poor mother and entertains my siblings to this day, yet father still resists a suitor he deems unsuitable. Often he reminds me, I am but 18. So we'll skip a little ahead now because they do marry four years later. And this is a three-part poem, so I'll just pause so you can hear where one part ends and another begins. Madame Audubon. How will they fit in two small chests, these goods I've stitched all year? The larger must go to towels and quilts, but I need this one for clothes. Three shifts, a petticoat, collars, summer gloves, the plain muslin nightdress, and this pleated one you say you love. The high waist gown I've trimmed in mother's lace. How I wish she could have lived to see our happiness. Two cotton dresses, yes, I must have two. My warm wool jacket with embroidery. These boots will do. And oh, my dancing slippers and the wooden patterns cousins sent to protect them from the streets. Headed west this rainy morning, the track more rock than road. I remember our courtship, husband. Again, a thrilling word. How we begged the fathers to permit our marriage. Too young, what prospects? How you all but drowned four years ago, a fall through ice on Perfume and Creek, and I, your nurse, till spring. And that Phoebe pair you showed me once, lovebirds you called them, leveling your gaze. In the mountains before Pittsburgh, I step down to spare the horses, walk with you in the muddy rut. When you pulled me from the battered coach, I barely knew my name. The terror as we overturned the horses' screams. I feared then you would break my bones 
so tight you held me. The way you cried, my wife, my wife. Now they're in Louisville, Kentucky, where they're going to stay for a little while. This is a letter again to Euphemia. Dearest cousin Euphemia, March 1809. At the end of a year, we find ourselves still living at the Indian Queen Hotel. Less rough than others where we've stayed, although every bit as noisy. We're hoping soon to rent a house, retrieve our belongings. Yet pleased to have our own room now, where no one spits tobacco juice, as private as we could wish. Mr. Audubon is busy at his general store, when not off hunting rabbits or sketching them or racing his fine horse. He has an excellent disposition and a merry heart, adding much to our nights and days. As my confinement nears, I pass the time in sewing. How I long to have a book. So I'm going to skip a little bit forward and maybe read you one more poem. So they leave Louisville and decide to go south to Henderson, Kentucky, where they think there's more opportunity. So they float down there on a flatboat and rent a, a cabin. And then after another year or so, they decide to go home and visit her family, which now consists of her father, his new wife, and her siblings who are still at home. A Visit to Fatland Ford, December 1811. Is it wise, I asked him twice, to travel so close to winter? But he was unconcerned. We had our health and the excellent horses. Our victor, so young but eager, sat before his papa on the big-shouldered bay, which, besides the boy, is his father's pride. From Louisville to Pittsburgh, I write now to Euphemia, the chief part is through woods where the sun scarcely penetrates. We forded the Ohio in a snow squall. Memory of our westbound trek three years ago, still fresh. The roads most dreadful at all seasons. Leaving the foothills, we scanned the plain ahead. And finally, my father, dry clothes, an ample bed. Now the difficulties and fatigue are over, I can scarcely realize that I have rode on horseback nearly 800 miles. This isn't even the beginning of the difficulties they face. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they faced a tremendous um, amount of odds and poverty and separation, death of several of their children, Hmm. all before John James was able to put together a collection and head off with her support because she, in an era when women were not allowed to work, managed to support the family before he headed off to England to try to get a publisher. So we'll leave them there. Oh, wow. It's so lovely to get to dip into this world, especially right now, even though their story sounds pockmarked and troubled so I encourage everyone out there to, to look it up. I guess we can we can find this at Rose Metal Press. Is that right? Yes, it's on pre-order now. The actual release date is May nineteenth, but it's it can be ordered now. Yes. You've said that you're quote perpetually bewitched by the narratives we devise 
to reimagine ourselves and the lives of others, stories made fresh with purpose and mystery. And hearing you read, it's clear uh, that that comes through. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. How will you find the next mystery, the next story you want to tell? Well, you know, I've resurrected something that I started about 20 years ago and kept putting away. I've all my life been fascinated by pre-Baroque music and one composer in particular has always seemed to be in my life and that is uh, the German composer Heinrich Schütz. Mm. I've loved his music all my life and have imagined, have tried to imagine his life which was a tragic life and yet filled with this gorgeous music. Written a number of poems about him and this whole experience of writing the Audubon, Lucy Audubon book and also uh, in preparation for it in preparation for the publication, I've started reading the poetic biographies of some other very talented writers. And that has made me rethink this old project that I put aside. I'm seeing some new ways that it might mm. become more interesting. Well, keep us posted because we would love oh. to know when the next thing comes out. That sounds, that sounds wonderful. I would love to. Just before we go, what is something that's keeping you sane or giving you respite during quarantine that you, that you might want to pass on to our listeners? Well, cooking. Yes, um, and, <laughs> all the carbs. Yeah, we love to cook, so that's helpful. And we have planted a little garden. But I must say the most uplifting thing that's happened this week is on Monday, our next-door neighbor, a medical student and his wife, teacher, delivered their first child in the oh. middle of all this. She was only gone a, a night because they couldn't wait to get her out of the hospital, but brought home a wonderful, healthy baby boy. And we're all on our block cooking and trying to make, <laughs> you know, trying to make make up for the fact that her mom couldn't come from California to be with her. Oh. It's a, but it's very, it's, it's a very positive thing to happen this week. Absolutely. Well, thanks for your lovely work. It's lovely to know that you're out in the world with your work and the work you're doing in your community as well. Thanks for coming on the show. It was my pleasure entirely. Thanks so much, Kate. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Effing Shakespeare Shorts is a production of Bloomsday Media, hosted by Kate Martin-Williams and Jessica Cole. And me, Fulu. Production assistance by Lily Wolfmeyer.